0: 24th, uh, 2021, and at least in Arizona, it is an astoundingly beautiful day today, 90 degrees this afternoon, and it will be very, very low humidity. It'll be wonderful. And I hope it's a wonderful day where you are as well, wherever it is you are. We have been talking about the chapter called working with others. And what is, what is Alcoholics Anonymous? What is Overeaters Anonymous? We are, as described by the doctor's opinion, by Dr. Silkworth, we are an altruistic movement. What does that mean, an altruistic movement? Where does it come from? It comes from the Oxford group. The Oxford group were not concerned with alcoholism at all whatsoever. They were concerned, they were founded by Frank Buckman. He was a Lutheran minister in Pennsylvania who got assigned after a resentment against the Lutheran Church, he got assigned to a church in England near Oxford University. And while he was there, he did the best he could to instill in his followers a zeal, an enthusiasm for Christianity. Enthehos is where enthusiasm comes from. Enthehos is two Greek words means from God. Enthehos, from God. And Frank Buckman went to China on a mission and while he was in China, he discovered people in China who had a zeal, an enthusiasm, if you will, a real enthusiasm for their christianity that he had been trying for a long time to instill in his followers back in england near oxford university and that's how they got their name they started getting ref- being referred to as the oxford groupers and what was what was so different about these people in china what was so amazingly different about them well i'll tell you in a word altruism. Altruism means giving of one's self with no expectation of a return. And you see people all the time in Overeaters Anonymous, and I think you see it in Other 12 step programs as well, but that's not our concern here who say I'm afraid to sponsor or I don't want to sponsor or I really don't need to sponsor. I'm just going to pick so and so up for the meeting or I'm going to I'm going to be the secretary of the meeting or I'm going to do the Treasury for the meeting and those are all very, very important pieces of service and I'm not diminishing them in value in any way, shape or form. But they are not a substitute for sponsorship. This is a 12 step program, not an 11 step program. And the reason that I'm talking about altruism this morning is to remind us that the number one reason why people are afraid to sponsor is because they are scared of the results. They are scared of hurting somebody, of doing something wrong. They are afraid of what people will think of them, or they are afraid of the the, uh, situation with the other person. If they don't recover, it will reflect badly on me. And truthfully speaking, that's not true. I know that these are tough concepts sometimes to deal with, but it's really true. Let's take a look at what a sponsor is for just a minute here and then we're going to get into the chapter. All a sponsor is, is the source of the source. What does that mean? The source of the source? The sponsor doesn't have to be the source of information. The sponsor just has to know where in the big book, the information comes. And if somebody is the source of the source, that just simply means that they know where to get the information. They have some familiarity with the program and we will assume even though it makes an ass out of you and me, we will assume that if you are in a recovered state that you have some familiarity with the book. So be the source of the source, in other words, take the light and shine it on the book and whatever happens from there is really between God and this other sponsee, this other person. I am not in any way, shape or form in the results business. There are 121 people on the line right now. And I would like to think that by you listening to me this morning, that you are gonna enter into the Valhalla of recovery, that somehow you will enter into some recovered state. And when you get up in the morning, there'll be Disney background music and birds and that'll help you get dressed and little animals and dancing silverware, if you will, or what have you, but that's really not the case. I'm here. I'm doing what I think is best. I'm going to stick to quoting the big book and taking principles of the book. I'm going to try to be as best I can today, the source of the source rather than be the big book. So I'm not concerned with results as much. I want you to recover. I hope you recover. Oh, I pray you recover but you know, in the final analysis it's between you and God and sponsorship is really no different. I've had sponsees lie to me. Recently I've had sponsees that went out and ate. I've had sponsees do all kinds of, of things. It's not my, um, it's not my job to be the OA police. It's just not my job to be the OA police department. And there is no such thing anyway. So I hope, in some small way that this will take some of the pressure off of you and this is the bottom line to the sponsorship principle and and we're going to get into the big book i know some of us are afraid to sponsor be more afraid not to sponsor because you will never get this program by absorbing spiritual information you will get the program by transmitting spiritual information and by transmitting spiritual information, you will open up vistas in your own mind of who you are, what you are and where you can find God and how you can be of maximum service to that God and the people around you, because that's really our purpose. This is a vicious illness. And for those of us who are in recovery or recovered, and the difference between someone who's in recovery or recovered is simply this, a person in recovery has not had their spiritual awakening yet, and a person who's recovered has. But it's not a destination, it's a journey. And if you stop taking that journey, you stop Treading that path, you stop trudging that path of happy destiny, you will not retain that position of recovered. You will slip back into the area of the disease you will not be able to maintain it so whether you call yourself recovered or you call yourself recovering remember that it's about the journey and it is not in any way shape or form about the destination there is no destination we don't arrive at anything the only thing we do is trudge the road of happy destiny together and if you've been around this program and you've worked the steps you must give away what you find or you will not be able to retain it now some people take that to the other extreme and they start sponsoring half of north america and half of europe and half of asia and a lot of times they slip back into the disease Because they get overwhelmed, they get angry, they get short tempered because they just feel put upon and they don't realize they didn't take care of themselves first and they put themselves in a position to be hurt. So there's a happy medium. You don't sponsor everybody, but you don't sponsor nobody. So there's a very, very happy medium. Now this is something that I believe that is not verifiable in the big book, but I think it's important enough so that it bears repeating. I do not believe that friends should sponsor friends. And I do not believe that spouses should sponsor spouses. And I am of the strong belief. This is my belief. There is no instruction on this in the big book, but I believe that men should sponsor men and women should sponsor women. These are my opinions. I'm identifying them as such. I believe them to be true but they are not verifiable in the big book. So don't in the Q&A say to me, where does it say in the big book that friends shouldn't sponsor friends or or Ebby, Bill always called Ebby his sponsor. And that's great for Bill and Ebby. I've never seen it work. I just, I don't see it work. I really don't. Now will sponsors and sponsees become friendly? Yes, they will over time normally, normally, because you get to know the person at a very deep level. So these are some of my opinions. So in the question and answer period, don't worry about, or don't bother about, where does it say in the big book that the men should sponsor the men and the women? It doesn't say it, it doesn't mention it at all. It does not mention it at all. But I'm telling you that this is opinion rather than fact. But what I the other stuff I said is verifiable in the big book. Okay, let's go to page 92. 92 in the big book, where it says near the the last paragraph on that page, it says, continue to speak of alcoholism. And I'll give you a second to get there. Page 92, where it says continue to speak of alcoholism. <sighs> now, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. Now, I want to stop right there. When Bill met Bob on Mother's Day, 1935, in the Cyberling gatehouse, Bob was a doctor. Now he was drunk obviously he had he was hung over out of his mind he might not have been drunk but he wasn't feeling very good that day let me tell you because the day before mother's day and i'm quoting his wife his wife's name was ann smith Ann got the call from henrietta cyberling on saturday evening saturday afternoon and Uh, Henrietta said, bring Bob to my house. And Ann Smith said, I can't. He bought me a potted plant for Mother's Day, and he's potted underneath the table. He had passed out underneath the table. But Bob was still a doctor. He was a proctologist in Akron, Ohio. And he, being a doctor, knew nothing of the physical allergy, the craving, and knew nothing about the twist of the mind. So when I speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady, I am reminded that this information is key, that the disease is fatal. It's permanent progressive, and fatal. I I have a, a friend of mine who lives in Oklahoma. He lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he calls it the three P's. Now fatal doesn't start with a P, but he says permanent, progressive, and fatal. And it's cute when he says it, it's better when he says it than I do, but permanent, progressive, and fatal. But what we also have to remember is getting back to basics. What is this illness? It's an illness of the mind, that I have a mind that will seek the effect. What is the effect? The effect is the sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating certain foods. And when I eat these foods, they give me a sense of ease and comfort that comes over me instantly, instantly, and makes me, Not makes me, but changes my perception of reality. The girl that I want, but I can't have, she's certain to be mine. The house that I'd love to live in, that I'm sure I deserve, is absolutely going to be mine. The the Maserati or the Rolls Royce or the whatever that I'm sure I have to have is absolutely going to be mine, through no effort on my part, by the way. But that's not reality. That is, a, that is a, 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 a delusional alternative to reality, but it only lasts a few seconds. But once that food is inside me and it's done what it can do for me, now it's going to boomerang back now, I'm using the word boomerang because the guy be, uh, behind me, he fashioned a boomerang as a child. So I like to use that word because I know it would make him smile if he were here. Maybe he is here, who knows. I, th- I like to think that he is, but it boomerangs back on me because it also triggers that physical allergy and that physical allergy manifests itself in a craving that is beyond my control. Once I eat a Reese's peanut butter cup, once I eat a, a, a Kit Kat, thing not the whole bar but the finger they're just the one piece break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar I won't sing anymore today but once I break off a piece of that Kit Kat bar I am going to be shoving them in my mouth like there's no tomorrow I'm going to be buying food like like I'm feeding an army why because of a actual physical craving for more of the same and it's very important to give that information to people because a lot of people have this idea that they acquired the disease because of their mother or they acquired the disease because of their ethnicity or their religion or their national origin or the color of their skin or other such reasons and we repeat these things so often. And we get them affirmed by other unknowing people that we have a tendency to start believing them here is the reality of the situation i either am a compulsive overeater or i am not a compulsive overeater and it is an action of nature rather than nurture let me say that again because that's important information i either am a compulsive overeater or I am not a compulsive overeater, and it is an action of nature rather than nurture. I was a compulsive overeater before I was aware that my mother was crazy, before I was aware that my father was way too old to be having kids. I was a compulsive overeater before I had language, before I had anything. I was in diapers and I was clamoring for food. And so it is vital. Now that doesn't mean they're all going to recover. You can do this and they'll go out and eat ice cream. That's not up to you. That's not up to you. Be the source of the source. You're the source of the information, but the information comes from the big book that if this person is indeed a compulsive overeater, like the guy behind me who was an alcoholic, once he took a drink, He could not control the amount of alcohol he drank. I found myself pounding on the bar, asking myself why it happened, but I might as well get good and drunk then. And I did. What led him into the cafe to make the call? The twist of the mind. What led him to pound on the bar, demanding more drinks, resigning himself that he might as well get good and drunk now? the physical allergy very important information and it is repeated absolutely through the course of the entire book that's why we know it's important because only what was vital gets repeated that many times we learned of this in the doctor's opinion we learned of it in Bill's story. we reminded of it in there is a solution. It's driven home in more about alcoholism. That's a lot of repetition boys and girls, a lot of repetition because it's vital information. Let's move on. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. In other words, talk to him about you. Don't try to assume you know everything. Now here's an interesting, this this is this paragraph that we're dealing with right now is, is very uh, impactful. When Bill Wilson met Dr. Bob, which I referred to just a few minutes ago, and we're coming up on that period of time, Mother's Day is just, uh, what is it, three weeks from now, something like that. When we think back on that famous world-changing meeting that took place in Akron, Ohio, in 1935. Here's something very interesting. Dr. Bob told his wife, Ann, I'm going to give this joker 15 minutes. 15 minutes from now, Ann, you get a headache and we're going home. You get a headache and you tell Hen, he called Henrietta Hen, he says, you tell him that you don't feel good and we're going home. Well, what happened? They were up there in the study five and a half hours. They met at five o'clock. They didn't come down till almost 11 PM. Why? Because Bill, oh, wait, I didn't finish what's important here. When they came down the stairs, Dr. Bob came first. Bill was behind Bob. And Dr. Bob, he said to his wife Ann, this is the first person I've ever talked to in my entire life that understood about my alcoholism. What? Why is that so important? Because Bill Wilson, by the accounts that we have, never said one word about Bob's alcoholism. He only spoke of his own alcoholism. And through what? Identification one to the other. One to the other. If I am going to talk to somebody about compulsive overeating, The first thing I want to do is get a feel from which side of it they're from. Now, I have a friend of mine, and if I would put the camera, I don't even know if she's with us here because I don't have the time or the, I don't have, I'd be looking like this the whole time. I don't have the time for it. I'm trying to think of how I can present this material to you. I don't know that she's here. She lives in Northern California. And if I introduced you to her when we have our convention or the birthday, if she'll come, I'll introduce you to her. You would never look at this person and say, oh, there's a compulsive over, you'd say just the opposite. You'd look at her and say, what the heck is she doing here? Because she doesn't present like I did, or I do, or I did, I guess. She presents as someone who looks completely normal. She's more from the anorexic side. Now, she pendulums. When I say pendulum, you go from one swing to the other swing. I have a friend of mine in Colorado that would absolutely fit this description as well. But I try to get a feel from, are they on the anorexic side or are they on the obese side? Now, if they're on the obese side, it's usually going to be pretty apparent. If they're not from that side, it's not going to be as apparent. You, You may not know. But the reason I'm bringing this up is this. I can't speak to the anorexic side, but this other person, believe me when I tell you When I keep my attention on my compulsive overeating, even though this person has never weighed anywhere close to what I weighed, she relates right down the line, right? There's nothing I'm saying that she can't relate to. She is a gutter, back alley, garbage can, dumpster compulsive overeater but she doesn't look like one. So you might not know you have to get the history. You have to get the person, you know, you have to get the person talking a little bit, but by this point, I want to talk about myself. And the reason I want to talk about myself is I, I'm self-centered. No, I want to talk about my compulsive overeating so that I can see, does this person relate to what I'm saying, can they relate? And that's why Bill's story is chapter one in the book. Chapter one used to be the doctor's opinion. They moved it to the Roman numeral section because after the first printing, after the first edition, they said, this really doesn't belong in the the main body of the book because it's supposed to be for alcoholics by alcoholics and he wasn't an alcoholic. So they moved it to the Roman numeral section. The information is just as vital, but Bill's story is chapter one, why? The guy behind me, why is his story in the first first pages? So you can identify in, do I think the way Bill thinks? Do Do I eat the way Bill drank? Very, very important. Explain that many are doomed who never realized their predicament. And how many of us have cried tears and walked off the cemetery, walked out of the hospitals, the palliative care centers, the nursing homes. How many of us have been devastated by the people who never realized their predicament and they just kept eating or drinking or drugging or God knows what. And the help was right there. You know, Richard Peabody, he wrote The Common Sense of Drinking, which Bill Wilson used in chapter three more about alcoholism. There's four books that really make up the, the big book. It's, the big book takes its, its information from, from these four sources by and large. It's the book of James in the New Testament. It's the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Emmett Fox. It is the Common Sense of Drinking by Richard Peabody and the Varieties of Religious Experience by William James. that's why you have the stories in the back of the big book, because of William James and Peabody published his book, The Common Sense of Drinking in 1930. In 1936, he died of his own alcoholism. Well, what had already started unbeknownst to him in 1935, what had begun alcoholics anonymous and Peabody could have gone. He could have got to New York. He could have gone to, to these meetings. He didn't know. He had no idea because he believed in the book, The Common Sense of Drinking, if you wanna cure your alcoholism, and yes, he does use that word, change your job, change your habits, change your friends, do different things. And of course we know that's not gonna help you. There are there are changes that need to be made, but those changes alone will not bring about the necessary spiritual awakening that is needed to produce a recovery. Help was right there and he died of his own alcoholism in 1936. Oh, boys and girls, the saddest words of tongue or pen are these few words it might have been. Oh, but for just knowledge of what was going on in New York and Akron he might have recovered now that we know wouldn't it be pathetic for us to go the way of peabody so if you're struggling if you're on that struggle bus if you just can't seem to to get it quote unquote get it if you just don't seem to be able to put some time together please let us help you we can't cure you we can't come to your house and knock the food out of your mouth we can't do that but what we can do is we will light the path for you (sighs) we will keep it lit for as long as necessary so that you too can trudge that road of happy destiny don't turn to the wall and die with everything that we know today and with all these 151 people on the line right now there are many of them that will take your hand and help you and it says right here explain that many are that explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament and what is my predicament boiled down to this I have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind. And I don't care how disciplined I am. I don't care how much willpower I have. I don't care how much I know or don't know. I don't care how smart I am or how simple I am. I am not of my own volition, powerful enough to overcome this vicious, fatal illness. It is an illness of the mind and an illness of the body and it checkmates me into death but what is worse than death is the way that it makes me live so if you're struggling and i'm talking about sponsorship here and you're sitting here and you're listening and you're watching but you're thinking sponsorship good god i'm just i can't even put down the ice cream i can't even put down the food let us help you that's our job we do it for free for fun and for free. We do it because it's part of our program and we cannot recover without you. And the only check that we'll give you, the only bill that we'll give you at the end of the day is, all we will ask you to do is please pass on what you've learned. Whatever it is we inculcate you with, whatever it is we do, please pass it on. And that would be your charge back for everything we're gonna do. Okay. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. Now, I go to the cardiologist every six months like a clock because I have a condition called AFib. What is AFib? It's atrial fibrillation of the heart. The weight that I carried plus a lot of the soda pop that I drank and a lot of the artificial sweeteners and a lot of the chemicals that I ingested in my life screwed up the electrical section of my heart, your heart beats. And mine beats. Mine has some rhythm. But mine is not a healthy rhythm. Mine, So I have to take medication to thin my blood so I don't stroke out. But I have to go to the cardiologist every six months. And every time I go, I go into the locker of the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club and I grab some OA literature and I bring it with me and I leave it in the waiting room. And hopefully there are some people in there that have benefited from it. I don't really give a darn whether they benefit or not. I benefit from it because on the way home from the cardiologist, I have no desire to compulsively overeat. But I leave the literature and my cardiologist is a wonderful guy. And he looks at me and we'll get into our little conversation. he says, did you bring the stuff from your group? And I said, yes. And he laughs and he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world because he believes that this is a hopeless condition. He's a doctor. He is a cardiologist. He's a very nice man. And he asked me, In his office, he says, is this true? You weighed 679 pounds. I said, yes. And I said, that wasn't as heavy as I was to get. He says, is this true? You weighed 513. Is this true? You weighed 591. He says, are all these true? I said, yes, they're true. And he says, the statistical probability or possibility of someone losing that amount of weight and keeping it off are zero Zero. The medical profession has no confidence in anyone's ability to really lose the weight and keep it off. They just don't. And why don't they? Because they don't see it happening. They don't see it happening. What did Dr. Silkworth tell Bill's wife Lois? He. It's in the big book. He said, she... He said to Lois, not she said to Lois, he said to Lois, that's better. He said to Lois, not he Bill, he Dr. Silkworth. Dr. Silkworth told Lois Wilson, you're either gonna have to take him to the undertaker, the asylum, or you're gonna have to shut him up someplace. You're gonna have to take him off the street. And she said to him is there bill is so smart he was a very smart man bill wilson you know they run those surveys uh, from who would you if you could have lunch with anybody in the world who would you love to have lunch with this guy right here there's nobody i'd rather have lunch with than the guy right behind me william g wilson there's nobody i'd want to have I'd, i'd like to have lunch with ernie banks or babe ruth too but or george hallis but i would love to have lunch with bill wilson above any of them he was a very smart man and dr silkworth broke it down for her he's doomed lois there's nothing we could there was no aa they had a treatment center at bellevue they had the treatment center at the towns hospital towns was considered better one of the reasons was the um belladonna treatment that charlie towns had developed and it was more a little more respected they had a treatment center at bellevue in new york but there was nothing anybody could do for bill wilson let's continue so that's why medical professionals have such a low opinion of us they just don't see recovery they just don't see it let's continue the Doctors are rightly loath to tell patients the whole story, unless it will serve some good purpose. Here's the good purpose to it. It can save lives. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You offer a solution. And what is the solution? Is it your charm? No. Is it your personality? No. Is it your good looks? No. What is your solution? Your solution is the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous. Your solution is a spiritual solution. What is so special about a spiritual solution? It is the last house on the block, but it is the only thing that is remotely effective at fending off the ravages of this disease. This disease doesn't care that your children are crying because mommy is eating so much. Your disease doesn't care that your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your friends or your coworkers are scared to death of you because you're getting so heavy or you're getting so thin. This disease doesn't care that it isolates you. What does an abuser do? An abuser isolates the victim. They take the victim out of the realm of contact with friends and family, and then they go to town on their abuse. That's what this disease does. It is a disastrous terrorist and an abuser. You have a solution. The solution is in the steps. The solution is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps so that the urge to eat is simply not there. So that I do not have the buildup of fear and anger and and uh, the guilt and the shame of dishonesty. I do not have this emotional buildup so that my brain already feels better and it does not send me into the arms of a Kit Kat bar. My disease is in check. It is not cured. It is not anything. My disease is in check, but it is only as in check as my daily spiritual condition. It's dependent upon my daily spiritual condition. That means I have to work this every single day to the best of my ability. And it is a progressive disease, which means I have to keep doing more and more, or I have to do different. I have to shake it up from time to time because if I get complacent and I just talk to the same people, go to the same meetings, do the same things, I'm going to die in the food. That's what this paragraph is is, is reminding me of to remind the new person. It's very, very important. The solution is the spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all of the traits of the alcoholic. What are the traits of an alcoholic? That once I start, I can't stop. That once I stop, I can't stay stopped. Chapter three is not about Jim, a man of 30, Jim, Fred and the jaywalker that were drunk and couldn't get sober. It's about man of 30, Jim, the jaywalker and Fred that were sober, sober for years, man of 30 was sober 25 years, not a drop. He went right back into the disease and was dead within four years. Can they relate to that? If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic so much the better. Most doctors don't use terminology that I've run into. Uh, Maybe you've run into them. Please don't attack me later on this. The doctors that I have run into do not use the terminology compulsive overeater. They tell me I or others are morbidly obese or extreme morbid obesity. I was categorized as extreme, hideous, morbid obesity. One doctor in a hospital in Skokie, Illinois, when I was 513 pounds, when they wrote on my chart, the weight he wrote, my friend showed it to me when they came to visit me, he wrote 513 pounds. And then underneath he wrote, This is not a mistake. This man is huge. Even though your protege, your protege, it may not have entirely admitted his condition. He has become very curious to know how you got well. Now, here is something that you can use to your advantage, sort of like emotional jujitsu evoke their curiosity a little bit but i don't feel that way i don't feel the need to go out and eat kentucky fried chicken because i'm bored i don't go out and feel the need to go to the house of pies because i had a bad day I don't feel the need to do those things anymore. I use little words like, thank God. I don't have to do that anymore. It is by the grace of God in this wonderful program that I haven't done that in 22 years. And this should hopefully evoke some of their curiosity. It's not really 15 minutes before the hour. Is it? Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. Um, yikes. Okay, it's, it's, it, that should evoke their curiosity. And remember, talk about you. All right, now, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question. Let him ask you, what did you do? What's the what's one of the questions we hear all the time i'll get it tomorrow i'm doing special edition on vision. i'm going to get two questions tomorrow, you can bet your life on it what's the difference between recovered and recovering and the other question i'm going to get is what's your food plan which I won't take. But the other question that i'm going to get is if x equals seven no not that one i will get the question of what is it that you do daily what tell me about your daily spiritual practices that question comes up every week whether they're talking about bowling pins or spider webs what is your daily spiritual action let him ask you that question if he will now this is in it, in it uh, This is in italics, there you go. I knew I'd get it out eventually. All right, tell him exactly what happened to you. What happened to me? Well, I won't go into the whole story right now. I got slaughtered by this disease. Every dream I ever dreamed, everything I ever aspired to was sullied and muddied and destroyed by the food. By my morbid obese condition. Everything I ever wanted in life was spoiled by this disease. I was made an object of ridicule. I am a survivor. I am a survival survivor of humiliation beyond humiliation. I have broken furniture. I have been stuck in cars. I have been unable in the, in this country's second largest city, Chicago, Illinois at the time I have been, now we're number three, but I have been unable to buy pants that I didn't have to take to a tailor. I missed out on everything. I sat on the sidelines of life while others passed me by. That's what happened to me. I had a disease that I couldn't cure, I didn't cause, and I can't control. And then one day, somebody gave me a hand to hold. And one day, somebody gave me a book. And one day, somebody took me through the book. And one day, I put together one day. And after one day, I put together two days. And now I have 22 years of blissful abstinence. Do I sometimes think thoughts I shouldn't think? Yes. Do I sometimes do things I shouldn't do? Yes. Do I sometimes get jealous or get full of self pity? Yes, but I haven't found it necessary to compulsively overeat in 22 years. And I have been thrilled by the process. The chains of this disease, the shackles of this disease are too light to be felt until they are too heavy to be overcome by self. What is it in a human being that calls one to destroy themselves? What song does the brain hear? What song does the ego hear that makes one eat food against their will that they know will destroy them and kill their dreams and kill their lives and affect negatively those around them? It is only by the grace of God and the fellowship of this program that I don't hear that song anymore. There is something at work in a human heart, which could hardly be accomplished by years of self discipline. This is the only place that I can go. There is a place. Oh, Virginia, yes, there is. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And yes, Virginia, there is a place. And it's called Overeaters Anonymous. Look around you. Look around at the 155 people on the Zoom call right now. Many of them are fresh faced and glowing not because of discipline and not because of willpower and not because they can stick to a food plan. but And that's important. Please don't come away and say, Harlan said we don't have to stick to a food plan. I never said that. But there's much more to it than that. There is a place we can go where recovery is indeed possible, if you're willing, to do the work, there is something here in a human heart which has done the impossible, which would have been out of reach by years and years and years of self discipline and the place is called Overeaters Anonymous stress the spiritual feature freely. I am not going to hide the fact after the first minute or two that God did for me what I could not do for myself. And it is not the God of Israel necessarily, although it can be. It is not the God of the Catholics or the Protestants or the Muslims or the Buddhists or whatever it is you choose to believe in. Those are fine things. It is the God of the spiritual realm. The god of israel is a wonderful god the god of the christians is a wonderful god I'm not knocking that i have to have my own god and i stress the spiritual feature freely look at me now i still have bubby arms and i still have a double chin and i still you know i wish i could afford the you know zillion dollars of plastic surgery that would know that they have to carve me up like a turkey but the bottom line is I can walk I can talk I can function and I don't get I don't break furniture anymore if the man be agnostic or atheist make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God he can choose any conception he likes provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. There's only one requirement for God and that it be more powerful than I, more powerful than I. And it has to be something beyond me. There are as it is Saturday, there are rabbis and priests and ministers and imams and and there are there are all manner of deacons and and lay therapists and there are philosophers and historians and authors and musicians and there are many many millions of people that will while away the hours today trying to think of what God is and what God is not let them have at it. God bless them. There's two things I need to know about God and only two. There is one and it's not me. There is one and it's not me. (sighs) When dealing with such a person you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. What are the spiritual principles? The steps. There is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. And I think that there are many people, most people, what does he write about, Bill Wilson, in his story? How he struggles with this idea of a God-based solution he struggles with it because he is looking for something more scientific more mathematical more practical and here sat across the kitchen table and he shouted great tidings never mind the musty past never mind the burning bush and the cubs winning the world series and the splitting of the red sea forget that that's that's ancient history Ebby Thatcher was a drunk, a, an absolute bottom-of-the-barrel alcoholic, and he was sober. It took all argument away from Bill. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table, he shouted great tidings. Would I have it? Of course I would. And you can be that, Ebby. You can be that person to the suffering. There are people out there that are not living their lives, especially now with what's going on in the world over the last 13, 14 months. Drug addiction, alcoholism, food addiction, gambling addiction, domestic violence its through the ceiling. It's through the ceiling what's going on now with relapses. I love my weekday meetings. Oh, we have such fun Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We start at 6 Pacific Sunday, we start at 5:30 Pacific Monday through Thursday and we have a ball. We have an absolute ball and we recover and we cover we do the big book and it's wonderful. You're welcome to join us. <clears throat> it's the same back channel that you tuned into tonight. And we have an uproariously good time and we recover. But you know what I notice? There's a lot of people that came to my face to face meetings. They don't come. They're not here. I'm sorry. I wish that weren't the case but you have an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of people that are struggling in the lives of people that are suffering. We're not going to finish this chapter today. We're not going to finish this chapter, even in the next few weeks, this chapter is going to take a while. It's long and it's detailed, and there's a lot here to talk about. But one of the things that we are going to drive home through repetition is the fact that you have that responsibility to try. Give it a shot, make a difference. To the world, you're a person. To a person who's had every pay and way imaginable and they've been to every place you can go to to try to get to the bottom of this disease, you can be the world. You can light them up and you can give them something that nobody else could give them. You can give them hope. You can give them yourself. You can be Ebby to the people that cross your path. You can be Bill Wilson. You can be Dr. Bob and Roseanne. All those people are dead and buried I've been to Bill's grave. I've been to Dr. Bob's grave. They're dead and buried, but you're here. The reason that you survived so far is so you can give back, is so you can tell others. So at the end of a novel called Moby Dick, it's, he says, I alone survived so that I may tell thee. I alone survived, so I may tell thee. This is the story of epic proportion of how you recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. What happened to you? Where did your life go? How did you realize that you needed help? How did that help come? What did you do with that help when it arrived? And how do you plan on helping others is an epic story. An epic is a story that is unbelievably important and unbelievably detailed with with danger and bravery and all this other stuff. You have walked through fire you have walked through hell to get where you are today. I don't care if you look like a movie star I don't care if you don't look like a movie star I don't care if you're black I don't care if you're white I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile or a Muslim or a Buddhist I don't care who you are or what you are. If you are a compulsive overeater, then your story has merit to those still suffering. Do not ever discount the fact that you have a job to do and you have a responsibility to yourself and to God to be of maximum service to both you and God you've promised many times if you've gotten up to this step you've promised many many times during this book from the qualifications of the third step which include the abcs which include the bottom of page uh 62 where he is the father we are his children he is the principal we are his agents you, you read it there that you have to do his bidding to the top of 63, the third step promises, all the way through page 77, it says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. This is how. I'm not telling you not to be the coordinator at your church of something. I'm not saying don't go serve your church or your synagogue. I'm not saying that. I never said that. I never said don't be like Maria is doing service tonight and uh, today and Nancy and uh, Karen and Sue and and Pam. They they put this together. Now they're very instrumental in putting this together. But the greatest thing that they all do is they sponsor other people. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us Maria I'm I'm not going to get more than two paragraphs out today because they're pretty detailed I hope this was helpful, let me know sometimes if it was or it wasn't Uh, so I don't always know, Um, but these these paragraphs do not really speak to go quick and get through them these paragraphs.